Hi, my name is Alex Evans, and this is Composer's Concepts. I had the privilege of talking to Oliver Patrice Vader on this episode. We talked about him starting piano at the age of 10, and how his father's vinyl collection opened a door for him to artists like The Doors and Elton John, and how his education at Berkeley gave him the opportunity to meet Christian Henson and landed him a position as Christian's assistant. Through that relationship, he became the head composer for Spitfire Audio, as well as some in-depth conversation on his personal albums, OPW and Epilogue. Let's head on over to that conversation now. So thank you, Oliver, for being on the show. Um, So yeah, I guess starting out, I just wanted to, uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, just um, sort of a little bit about yourself and how you got into music and sort of what put you on the beginning of, uh, of becoming a composer. So my story starts uh, in, on, the, on the foothills of the Alps in Switzerland. Uh, I started playing the piano when I was around 10 years old, uh, classical piano. Uh, I was very much into sports, especially into football. And uh, piano was just sort of my hobby. And I had this very horrible Hungarian piano teacher that used to pinch me in the back for not sitting straight or like slap my my hands for playing wrong notes. So I didn't actually have a very pleasant um, introduction into um, into music. And uh, not until like 15 or no, I was like maybe like 13 uh, where I heard uh, the Forrest Gump soundtrack and I fell in love with all the music of like Credence, The Doors, all of that kind of 60s, 70s sounds. And uh, I asked my dad, what, what is this? Who, who is this? You know, and basically my dad opened his cupboards with uh, hundreds of vinyls exactly of that kind of music. And, and that was, I think, when really the buck, um, w- when I got really the music buck and I, I just listened to loads of vinyls from a very young age. And just kind of that's when I fell in love with music and uh, especially the doors. And I started to learn on the piano all these door songs and Raymond Zarek, who is a fantastic uh, organist. And he used to play, the, the band didn't have a, a bass player. So he used to play all of his bass parts with the left hand. And <clears throat> that's kind of the approach I took. And I started to learn blues and stuff. And I really discovered the love for the, for the instruments and thought, wow, I can actually do cool stuff with the piano as well. Uh, I changed teacher and I got more into jazz, uh, blues. And when I was 17, a major kind of accident happened of me playing football. I injured my ligaments and I had uh, three times surgery on my, on my knee. And that really kind of kept me inside and I couldn't go outside. And that, that was really the turning point where I then started to just play the piano all day, learning loads of, uh, uh, blues, jazz and other, some Elton John songs, etc. And um, then I applied to uh, the jazz college in Switzerland and I got in and that's when I really started to, to go deeper into, into music and uh, started playing in bands, started touring in, in, in Switzerland at first. And my interest was quickly expanding and I looked at, um, at England because that's sort of the, the capital for music in Europe, I guess. And a lot of amazing music comes out of, out of England. And um, so I looked at kind of relocating and moving to England and I moved to the south of uh, London, the south of England to Brighton, uh, where I studied um, songwriting and piano and music production. That was at a school called BIM, Brighton Institute of Modern Music. And it was great because I met a lot of amazing people. I formed a lot of bands. I did a lot of session music as, as a piano player. 
And I was there for a total of four years where I then wanted to learn more about um, production. And a friend asked me whether I can, uh, whether he can use some of my little piano pieces that I used to play on on his uh, film, short film. And I said, well, yeah, of course you can, you can. And then he said, I would love if there were some cellos on there. And I was like, well, I have no idea how to use a cello, but let me have a think. And a friend of mine gave me uh, Logic and there I used this uh, terrible cello sound from Logic that sounds like a, some sort of a, a rusty saxophone. Uh, and I just scored his, his film with, uh, with this sounds and accompanying my piano piece. And that was my first experience in really kind of composing. Before I was more like songwriting. And that was also my first experience of using a computer. And that was pretty late. I mean, I was already like 25. Uh, I was very much an analog session musician, touring musician kind of guy. And, and that was another moment, turning point where I like, I actually absolutely love that. And I discovered that I can play a whole orchestra and whole electronic sounds. And I can, I can be this one person that kind of plays or writes all of this. And I found that fascinating. Again, it was a similar situation. I applied to a Berkeley College of Music in Valencia. And uh, to my surprise, I got in because I had no uh, experience in writing to picture. And um, I studied there for a year, learned all the, the individual instruments of the orchestra. I learned how to use Pro Tools. Uh, I got to meet a lot of lovely people and um, friends. We're still like, uh, some, some of us are really, really close friends. And uh, then when I moved back to London, I wanted to be back with my band who was still in Brighton. Um, I met Christian Henson, the founder of Spitfire Audio. And I was kind of desperate for a job. And I asked him, uh, do you have any 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 jobs going and see kind of posts? He gave me his email address and I uh, I emailed him and and then I became his assistant for about a year on a freelance basis and then Spitfire grew rapidly uh, at the time when I started we were like six or seven people and now it's five years later we're seventy people and slowly I grew into this role and I I became uh, kind of the head composer and uh, looking after the music production and, and music output uh, of Spitfire Audio. And uh, alongside that, I had several projects. Uh, I was writing some uh, music for the BBC, documentaries. Um, I've released my own album last year, my debut album, which is another route I want to continue going, which for me, it was, the, it was a fantastic um, learning curve but we can we can chat about that separately but yeah it was uh, so these two or three cornerstones in my life like the injury uh, then this short film I scored and definitely Spitfire Audio who has been a very impactful part of my life yeah absolutely yeah I think uh, I think if anyone sort of wasn't aware of you the first instance of maybe seeing you would probably be through Spitfire I would imagine um, so yeah you you um, with your your album, uh, sort of self-titled, your initials, right? Um, you you also created a, a sample library with that as well, that sort of released through Spitfire. Um, so, what was sort of the like the birth of that idea? Like, what sort of created the idea of making a sample library with a with like an album release? I was chatting to um, at the time he was a marketing manager, uh, Will Evans. He is now the CEO of Spitfire. Um, he, uh, fantastic human being, like great music lover, um, uh, man with many connections. And um, we were chatting about 
you know, there's so much output uh, music going out through Spitfire, like with all the demos we write, etc. And uh, I was chatting to him that I also had a lot of my own pieces because I was always writing music and recording, and uh, but never had any done anything with it. And um, we just had a casual chat, and I was like, well, you know, it could be cool if if we have this output with Spitfire or the music. And you know, he was like, well, we could maybe do something like a label or you know, a Spitfire label. And I was like, yeah, and and I would love to do maybe with some sounds, some like a labs, you know, there's this, this, this range called labs that their free sample library Spitfire put out. And I was interested in kind of making my own sounds as well, you know, and, um, really we kind of left it there, but two weeks later or so only, um, uh, Will sends me a message and saying like, Hey, I've uh, chatted to this girl. She, uh, she, she's interested in uh, managing a label and, uh, let me introduce you to her see what you think. And that was um, Harriet, Harriet Pittard. And she was, um, she is now the label manager of SA Recordings. And when we met, um, she's this really quirky, amazing personality. And um, we went into the studio and we, we, we just literally chatted about 10 minutes, made a coffee and I took her to the studio and I showed her my whole, al- whole album that I had um, kind of, it, it was it's, it, it, a bit in a rough form. There were some samples on there, some unfinished tracks, etc. But she really sat patiently for about two hours there and we went for the whole tra- whole album. We, we chatted and, you know, it, it just kind of became uh, this this beautiful thing. And she, she also has a lot of contact in the industry and um, we then released, uh, I had a three track, uh, uh, I had these three tracks solo performance that I did in Am- recorded in Amsterdam. Uh, just on a piano and it was kind of live recorded for piano day I think 2017 maybe or 18 and I wanted to self-release them but then we used those three tracks to release a first seven inch uh, EP through SA recordings and that was the birth of it and uh, then Aleph Lenz um, came along as well and signed to the label and she was then really the first person who released the sample library and the and the album and this concept, we kind of just all together, we kind of form this this concept of making a, a library uh, alongside an album. And that's kind of marrying the two sides of music tech and let's call it um, art music, you know. So it's like Spitfire and SA Recordings. That's kind of the bridge, you know. SA Recordings is the album and Spitfire does the, the sample library. And it's really, it's a wonderful thing because as a, as a listener, and maybe if you're interested, how is it, how is this album put together? You know, and then you can buy the sample library, and you can maybe play the individual stems or individual sounds, which which is really amazing. You know, it's 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 a very unique opportunity. Mm. Um. Yeah, and like the album is definitely like a very personal project. I it, just from listening, it you can sort of tell that. And um, like with this creating the sample library along with it, does that was that sort of a little bit more vulnerable of a, of a thing to put your, yourself out and do, or was it just sort of a very natural, organic thing? At first, um, I, I created the album, I have to say, because the idea of the sample library uh, as, a, as a bigger thing came, came along a little bit later in the process. Um, so many sounds, like all the string sounds, for example, that I haven't actually sampled, saying that uh, because I actually already used the LCO samples of Spitfire to to mock up my, my album. So I didn't feel there was a need to recreate that sound because I was so inspired by that sound already. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was like a, a two-step process. Like, so I created the album and then 
as I, as I was going along here and there, I, I made some samples to actually write with. Um, so automatically, uh, but then afterwards it was a whole other process to recreate these sounds, you know, and going back to my pedals and be like listening and and really fiddling around and maybe even make the sounds better. So I actually feel on the on the sample library side, the sounds I'm using are much cleaner and much much nicer because I was going back and like, how did I create this sound? And I really perfected the sound in the sample library. So I had more my like producer heads on than when I was writing the album I had more like it was more of an artistic process maybe late at night I was like just in, in my own world creating this sound but like it had maybe a bit of a buzz or the, the reverb wasn't quite right or whatever but I, I just felt it was cool you know and then I left it like that on the album that's why it, it's it's also so raw and rough and in my opinion honest but then the sample library I had to be a bit more careful because I know how people use sample libraries because I use them as well and so it was more of a technical process and I wanted to give the people something very useful, you know, that they can use in their own productions. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, uh, the string, like the strings and everything like that, you, you said you were using like a, a the LCO sample library at, at the beginning and stuff like that. Um, with that, with, like, with creating string parts for, you know, with sample libraries to record later live, um, obviously sometimes you can't include sort of every different, type of articulation within a sample library um so 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 like sort of how do you how do you go about writing string parts um with ideas that you don't necessarily have at your fingertips with the sample libraries uh, i think that comes then down in the in the orchestration part so if you have a very specific idea of a sound maybe i'd use a sample that comes really close to it and then i actually on on my parts um i i would write you know, let's say, I don't know, I have like a circular motion bowing, you know, and I have a sample that sounds like that, but actually I want it to be a bit more raspy. Then I would just have that sample and, and I would send it to the orchestrator, but then I would make a note and saying like, please write on the score, it needs to be harsher and raspier, you know, so you just kind of communicate. This is a very good point, like, Many people always ask, how do you write this down? You know, especially in, in, in contemporary classical music where people use all sorts of like unimaginable articulations. It's like, how did you, how did you write that in paper? It's like, well, you know, this language of writing music is hundreds of years old, you know, so, and, and people might have not used this articulation. So there's not really a, a, a sign for it that you can actually put. So you just write it, you just write on the paper, you know, and you also talk to the musicians, you know, so you, you say like, you know, in uh, viola in bar number number forty, I have have this, but how it actually should sound is something like that. And then the player would go and do it, and I'm like, oh, can you do it? Can, but can you play a bit raspier? And many times in the session, I actually had it in my mind something else, and then the player does something. It's like, oh my god, this sounds so much cooler. You know, I didn't even know this instrument could do that. So I think just co it's it's communication. You know, it's it's music. Music is communication. So you just communicate with the players, really. Um, yeah, and with this album, you, you've mentioned that it was sort of recorded over like a two-year process, right? Or two-year length of two years. Yes. Um, how do you sort of how do you sort of maintain the same sort of vision for the album if you're like over the course of two years? Like, how do you sort of keep your ideas strong and not stray away too far from it and instrumentation as well? Oh wow, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> how did I manage? I mean, I hope the the <laughs> idea has a clear vision. I'm still not sure about it. it to me, it does. I hope it does to the listener as well. But yeah, um, 
I mean, it, at first it was just, it was the idea of like, I've got all these pieces and ideas. I'm going to make an album. And once I took that decision, it still took me a few months to actually dive in and, and figure out the sound. So it's, it's such a long process and it's, it almost, I mean, it's part why it sounds like how it sounds. Maybe if I decided, you know, some people might be like, okay, I'm going to lock myself away a month and make an album. I'm sure if I did that from the point I decided to make an album, my album would have been totally different. So this two years also shaped the album because the, the two years it's kind of the concept of the album. It's like a diary. All these things that I experienced added new inspirational material to it. Like my, my journey to Africa, my journey uh, to Brazil, where I bought instruments that then ended up on the album. Um, yeah. You know, that wouldn't have been there, I think, if I would just would have done it in a month. The album would have been totally different. It would just mainly be piano, you know, for example, or, or like the, the the bonus material I've released. It, it was written in one night, you know, so it, it's, it's, it has a totally different uh, character. So the two years, it was actually important. Without that time, I could have never created what I've created. So um, I think it's very important to, to put in the time and um, really massage your your ideas and put them into into musical form just a couple months ago back in february early february you released just um another another album epilogue and that is just uh that's just straight piano pieces isn't it yes absolutely yes and uh and i i noticed like sort of in that one it, it when like when playing you know when you're when you're listening to the music there's uh lots of like different background sounds too like you can almost hear sounds in the room like the chair creaking for that like, you're sitting on and stuff like that um so like sort of all that background noise is that like uh was that like sort of an intentional artistic sort of decision for recording it um not really it's it was just coincidence i mean i was um at said night i was literally sitting down my uh, my wife and i we had a friend over and they were having some wine and drinks downstairs that was in my flat in amsterdam and i had my studio on the top and we had a lovely dinner together and nice conversations, etc. But then I was like, okay, you know, the, they're old friends. I want to just leave them to it. And I disappeared in my studio and I just sat down and I had everything set up in the same way as I have from, my, from the album. And it was the way that I loved the piano to sound, you know. And, uh, yeah. I just started kind of playing. I, I sat actually like how I sit a little bit here. You can't, you can't, you can't see me in the podcast, but I'm sitting like on the upper half <laughs> of the piano. Yeah. Um, because I was first sitting on a sofa and then my chair, I had my feet up on my chair, uh, which I, I had to pull the, the, the chair closer to the sofa so I could, could reach, my feet could reach. And that meant that the chair moved to the upper half of the piano. And when I got up from the sofa and sat down on the chair, I was just sitting sort of yeah. just in the upper three octave or basically in, in the middle of the upper half of the piano. And I just started playing there and just... I mean, for me, just magically, all these kind of little melodies came out that I really loved and, and I just kept playing. And in the beginning, I, I didn't record and then I just went over, opened a session, hit record and then just started. And I was like, hmm, I was just always playing two chords back and forth. You know what? Let's keep doing that. So I was like playing two chords in different variations, different extensions and then playing on the right hand my melody, but all in the upper half because that's where I had my chair placed. And, and so I just, then I stopped and then I was like, okay, next one. And I changed the two chords and I gave a different color and it just flew everything so nicely in, into each other. And I mean, I didn't really pay attention to the background noise at all. And I wasn't even going to make an album. I just recorded it for like an hour. 
uh, or maybe 40 minutes or something like that. And, and then I stopped and, and did something else and I had it on the side and maybe a week or two later, I was like listening to it. And I was like, oh man, I, I, I really like this. This is just something that came from somewhere that I can't explain. It's just there. And um, you know what? Let's just uh, release this as a bonus material uh, because I was happy to to share it and I was excited for people to hear it as well in its, in its very raw form. Um, yeah, so like where that one is just, just strictly piano and then the uh, OPW album is a lot more so sort of orchestral based. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you approach writing pieces on just piano and sort of sort of for the full orchestra? Do you approach writing those in a different way, or is it more or less the same approach? I re- I prefer to write on a piano, yes, because I consider myself a piano player. It's been my main instrument, <laughs> my only instrument, pretty much. I play, so that's that's my usual approach, and I feel most creative uh, on the piano. I. I usually sit on the piano when melodies and things come or when textures, you know, come to, to, my, to mind. Or sometimes I use my Wurlitzer actually as well. Uh, there were a couple of um, tunes, actually a stone's throw um, was meant to be an interlude. And it was just this Wurlitzer um, motif I had, like with reverse sounds, etc., and that became actually one of the singles as well of, of, of the album. So, yeah, but, but anything with keys, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of inspires me. Yeah. That's, that's how I kind of grew up, mm. basically. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've personally, uh, I've, I've used the sample library that you, that you put out for the OPW uh, album as well. And it definitely is like, a, it's very easy to sort of just get inspiration from it. Like, I feel like it's, you know, it was very, very well catered to to other composers and other songwriters to use, right? So, um, so yeah, I just, uh, I did, I just did want to just mention that as well. But um, with uh, thank you very much, yeah, that, absolutely, that means a lot. <laughs> so yeah, back in 2017, you and uh, another composer at uh, at Spitfire Hamai, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, um, you guys co scored a a feature film called The Haunted. Absolutely, yes. Um, and as well with Spitfire, you guys sort of documented the process of creating the the music behind the that film mm-hmm. um but i was wondering if you just wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about the process that maybe may have not made it in that uh in the videos and stuff like that um i think we, we've tried to really really document it in all in all of its details so i can't remember it being anything that isn't in there i mean it, it, it even went to a level where uh, during the process of this, my, my grandfather had passed literally about five or six days before the recording session. And the recording session was sort of the big thing we we um, we worked towards. So that was our major deadline, you know, because we didn't have a deadline to deliver the music for the film. So that we work, we, we put ourselves this fake deadline, basically saying the recording session is the major thing to work to. And even, you know, the passing away of my grandfather, even that uh, made an appearance in the in the documentary. So uh, we really try to capture it from, you know, uh, um, the, 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 the spotting session uh, with, the, with the director to all, you know, I mean, 
maybe what's missing is, is a couple more cues where I had to do like uh, more reviews, you know, because the, I, I think I documented a queue where I had to do like three reviews or rewrite a queue, etc. Maybe a couple more happened as well, but obviously you don't want to repeat in the documentary um, uh, over and over the, the, a similar thing. You, you also need to make it more interesting. I mean, the only thing I would like to say is that it just made the whole process so much more difficult because we had to we had to document it, you know? So instead of just sitting down, okay, I'm doing this change quickly. It's like, no, I need to turn the camera on and, and think about how I'm going to explain that this cue from that day was now reviewed, but then it, chronologically it is after we've done this, this and that, you know? So it was, it was actually such a, it was like inception, you know, it was, um, it was quite, it was quite a big work. And then in the end as well, like editing, put, putting all the footage together, we had the help of, of an editor as well. Luckily, I mean, without, we would have been, it would have been, a, yeah, an insane project. But I, I mean, I was really glad uh, having done that. It really makes you aware of the process as a, as a film composer and, and how insanely versatile the job is of a film composer yeah and, and that was also was that also your first feature film like scoring your was that your for the first feature film that you guys scored together as well like yeah just added another sort of big old amount of stress on top of the <laughs> on top of that process by by documenting it yes absolutely absolutely i uh, it was the first collaboration i had previously scored um one uh, independent film it, it was nowhere near as uh, uh, as big I, I, it was more of like uh, some piano and cello recordings so it was a smaller project um so i would say yes it was literally my first bigger uh, feature film project and it certainly added added a bit of uh, excitement to it mm. um yeah so so like with with scoring to you know short films full feature films um what's what's sort of like your approach when writing like uh, a theme or a tune for either the film as a whole or an individual character within within the story um i would go and try to write uh the the biggest cue in the film maybe a cue that the director talks about it most or uh, maybe a, a cut that the director sends you first um, mm -hmm. or just something that you can feel is very important for the director. I think scoring for picture is, it's such a people business. Like you really, you really got to uh, shine a light on someone else's picture. It's not your own picture you're painting, you know, like when you do an album. So you really got to be aware of that. And I think really, grasp what the director mm. wants and if 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 it's a character driven movie yeah. you know and and he gives you the the major scene or he explains you what the major scene is of the film maybe try scoring that first you know and try uh, in in collaboration with the director what he wants you know like okay he wants a, a solo cello film uh, uh, theme you know then then you already mm. have a bit of a limitation there it's like well you got to use the solo cello and and then try and make it fit to that to that theme to that character and then i would usually write yeah um, to picture immediately, you know, to, um, to, to that specific scene. I, I once had a film where I was working to script and it was, yeah. it was tricky because the director, she was a young director and she had, a, it, the script was great, but I think she hadn't really had the fully completed vision of how it's going to look like and therefore also not how it's going to sound like. And sometimes it can be dangerous. You, you start just writing music, but then, you know, when you mm. then actually put it to film, you have to change it a lot because maybe the director changed the vision a bit or the, you know, just the general feel. 
Um, but I think every project, and that's the wonderful yeah. thing again about being a film composer, has just its such own unique way and approach of writing music to it. And I think other people would confirm that as well. It, you know, every yeah, every film has its own is its own album as well. In in that sense, you mm. know, I was recently doing a, a tutorial about um, recreating like a, a Joker soundtrack kind of thing um from by the the soundtrack by Hildur Gunnadottir and her yeah. approach was also really exciting you know and how how first she was writing this bathroom scene when when the joker actually transformed into the joker and and that influenced her music influenced then the uh the the scene and the direction you know and it was actually played on yeah. set so it's it's every time is different but that's exactly the beauty i think yeah, and I, I personally myself, I do, I I feel like it's uh, definitely a more beneficial thing um, for the composer and just for the project overall, like um, to to sort of create the music um, while the film is being created instead of two picture because you know even with the Joker as you were just mentioning, like she I believe she wrote all the music sort of or most of the music before they even started filming and they used that music to sort of influence the uh, you know influence the creative process along the whole way and it's becomes more of a collaborative process at that point. And I think that in turn sort of creates a better, a better product at the end. Right. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, it's the music is such an integral part. And if mm. both art forms inform each other in, in a way, it's, I think it creates a much stronger uh, piece of work, piece of art. So what's, uh, what's some difficulties you would sort of say is about being like a, a head of department, right? Yes. Um, it's, you know, sort of all the, all the weight of the music is on your shoulders and, you know, there's really, I mean, there's music supervisors and stuff like that, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely got to be a, a burden. So I was just wondering if you'd be able to, uh, to talk about being a head of department with, a you know, writing a, a music for a film. I personally think writing the music, that part is, is a smaller percentage of, of your job as a head of department. Writing the music to film, I don't think it's, you know, it's the tricky it's a tricky thing because, uh, you know, you, you got there in the first place because you're a musician, you, you can write music, you know, or you, you have an ear for music, for sounds, for, for a feel, for emotion, etc. Um, I think the most difficult part is, is the interaction and the collaboration, I think, with a director and maybe with a, with a production company and just fit, fit in with the team, you know, you just can't, for example, you can't have an ego, you know, you can't, as I was already mentioning, you, you shine a light on someone else's picture. And then, uh, you know, I'm talking from my own experience be, where, you know, I don't work on A-list Hollywood films uh, yet. Mm. Hopefully, I uh, put a, a little yet in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and usually what that means, um, now I have an agent uh, that helps me out, but uh, maybe many composers don't, don't have an agent or if you if you're about to start out, and the most difficult thing is just negotiating with a production company or maybe there's not even a production company or with a director, you know, and, and, and I'm addressing here the, the issue of working for free, you know, how do you approach this? Mm. How do you start out? How do you, even if you have started out, what, you know, you want to do your best. You want to be easy to work with. You, you want the film to be good. You, hopefully you want to have that on your portfolio and work more with that director, but then also you know, how, how do you set the budget? How do you also not uh, kill yourself 
um, over late nights for for a film that pays you, let's say, a thousand pounds, but you've already worked on it for for three weeks, uh, and the director wants to change everything. Mm. How, how do you do that while maintaining a good relationship with a director? So you, you find yourself, especially once you started, you find yourself in these tricky positions where you actually kind of like the film, you like the director, you want to work with him or her again. Uh, you were kind of happy with the money, but now it's come to this point where he or she is asking you to rewrite the main theme. Uh, maybe he says, oh, it doesn't sound authentic enough. Uh, and then you come to the point, okay, well, from this thousand pounds, now it's kind of the time has run out. I've already recorded a flute and a violin. Um, and now he wants a cello section. Um, what do I do? You know, like how do you explain um, that the money has run out, that also my time is, 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 is worth some, you know, it's, it's these, these things that I find the trickiest, um, not the actual writing of the music. Yeah, sort of put in a, put in a hard place between sort of keeping that relationship, a, a good relationship, but also being able to convey like the business side of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, um, another thing I wanted to ask as well, if, um, if there's, you know, currently anything that you're, you're working on at the moment that you're able to talk about. I'm working, I was just uh, kind of laying out my upcoming, the rest of this year and uh, uh, 2021. And um, I'm, there's going to be a lot of uh, Oliver Patrice Vader stuff coming up. So I have like a, a side project on, on the back burner uh, that I did in Amsterdam. Very interesting um encounter that I've made there with a, with a guy who um, is, a, is a software uh, engineer, uh, music software engineer, and he has a huge interest for drum machines and, and loops and weird sounds and stuff. And we just met on a random night in Amsterdam and uh, that project, uh, we started jamming and uh, turned that project into an album. And uh, that's kind of ready uh, to to see the light of the world, so that hopefully will come up very soon. And uh, just I'm um, I'm getting some ideas and um, concepts together to to actually write a new album. Uh, I've started writing a little bit, and then there is another collaboration um, in the pipeline, which I can't talk about it yet, but it's also related with with some uh, with some new original material. And um, at the moment, I'm pitching for a feature film, independent feature film. Uh, which I hope um, I, I get the um, um, I'll be honored to work on it, but let's see how that turns out. So that's another thing. You know, you you, you have to invest a lot of time in pitching and demoing, etc. And um, yeah, that's that's it for the moment. Awesome, nice. Sounds like there's definitely a lot uh, a lot to be excited for coming coming from you here in the. In the I think next, so. You know, I hope so. Few years for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, awesome. And, uh, and yeah, I guess I just, I did want to ask just a couple, you know, just sort of fun questions. Sure. Um, always good. What, uh, if you get, what, what would be like a dream project for you as a composer? What would, uh, what would be like the, the top, top of the bar for you? I would love to score something like Dead Man, like with Johnny Depp scored by Neil Young, like a, a major production, mm -hmm. but it has this kind of film noir independent feel and that I could just write my music that I love mm -hmm. and I'm like good friends with a director um, 
and we just we just make cool music. Maybe even you know the director comes to the studio and we just late nights, good foods, <laughs> good wine. We, mm. we and we just create a, an epic soundtrack together for for his film somehow, you know, and just that would be my dream. But then that you don't yeah. have any that you know the budget would be there to do something like that, you know. That is that is my yeah. dream. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely sorry go ahead yeah no that was just that is that is my absolute dream dream project where just the music is the music and the art is in the center of everything so so yeah you're definitely you, you definitely sort of you're a big fan of like the folk rock and and stuff of that nature as well um do you find do you find that that personally translates over to your orchestral stuff do you do you find that you can you get some folk elements in there and just sort of i guess non-orchestral um, genres that you're a fan of? Do you, do you find that you're able to work that stuff into uh, orchestral music? I think so, yeah. I mean, th- nowadays we have, it's sometimes such a pity that we categorize music, right? It's yeah. It's just music is music, whatever moves you, you know, whatever makes you feel something, it's fantastic, you know? But I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I, I feel whatever I listen to, whatever I play uh, as well. I mean, I, I also listen to orchestral music and classical music. I absolutely love it. We have mm. uh, BBC Radio 3 or Classic FM is, 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 is every morning is, is standard. You know, I, yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Mm. And uh, But, you know, I come from a blues and jazz background and yeah, I played a lot of, uh, uh, in a lot of like rock and folk rock bands. And I think on my album as well, you can hear... Uh, the blues influence you can hear a little bit the doors influence with my left hand kind of the rolling bass etc mm. um with my spitfire work maybe it's a bit less because we work maybe to specific briefs um but i just feel you can always and and that's that's the that's the voice everyone is always talking about right finding your own voice is that you want yeah you want that stuff in there you want the thing you know you want you know, when you listen to Alberto Iglesias' uh, scores, you can always hear, I mean, you know, it's just to stereotype it a little bit. You can always hear that he is Spanish. You know, you hear flamenco in there. You hear, um, you know, other traditional uh, um, Spanish music in there. Like he uses uh, Spanish guitar, etc. And um, I think that's that's exactly what needs to be in there, you know. And, and I feel it's important that, that you show... Uh, where you come from and what, what your inspiration has come from. There's enough, you know, uh, so someone once said, um, someone once told me, you know, when, when, when many people always try to imitate Hans Zimmer, so, well, there's, there's only one Hans Zimmer, you know, N- not even Hans Zimmer tries to imitate Hans Zimmer. You always want to be <laughs> yeah. uh, original and there's a whole pool of, of inspiration that you should be able to, to pick your, your art from, basically, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and definitely on like your on the OPW project, like um, the song uh, "A Night in Santa Teresa," that uh, mm-hmm. that definitely has a lot of. There's a lot of sort of little jazz influences in there. I noticed too. Oh, totally. Um, that is just sort of on the flugelhorn. Yeah, totally. That's that's the jazz ballad of the album, and that is uh, influenced by you know, like Miles Davis and mm. uh, also heavily influenced by um, uh, Getz and Gilberto, uh, the Bossa Nova uh, pioneer album, basically. And yeah, you can, you can totally hear that. It's, 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 it's a jazz standard, really. That's, that's what it is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, uh, I guess another, another fun question here for you. What was your favorite score of, you know, sort of 2019? 
2019. I loved, um, what's that 2019? Um, uh, Phantom Thread? Is that 2018? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I don't know. It could have been 18, 18 or 19, but I, I really <laughs> loved that score. Johnny yeah. Greenwood's uh, fantastic um, composer. So I, awesome. yeah, I did, I did really enjoy that one. Hmm. Um, and, uh, what would be, what would you say your favorite Spitfire library is, uh, what sort of, what do you like to use to write with, or what do you find the most inspiring? Uh, it's probably two different questions for the, the most, uh, I find myself writing with are definitely chamber strings. Uh, they're my absolute favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, just such a beautiful sound on the, uh, on a small ensemble recorded in the hall, just something Something must have, something really magical must have happened at the time of the production of this album, mm -hmm. of this uh, library. And uh, inspiring, um, I would probably go for one of the Oliver Arnold's libraries, maybe the, the Chamber Evolutions or something like that. These, these recorded waves, they're, wow, mm. they're, it's, it's like heaven on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely... I really like those Oliver Arnold libraries as well myself. Um, Amazing. I sort of I sort of use his stuff all the time. Um, um, so yeah, is there anything uh, anything else that you'd like to sort of you know talk about promote? Uh, I mean, you have you know I guess the two albums that came out pretty recently and stuff like that. But uh, is there anything anything else you'd like to sort of throw in there that we didn't get to? Uh, I think that was a pretty pretty detailed um, conversation. Thanks a lot for having me on your show. Um, all, all I like to say is um, just stay safe during these times, uh, during all times, actually. Be nice to each other, pick each other up, help each other. Um, the world can be a tough place. Our industry can be a tough place. So I think it's important to not push one another down, but but pick each other up and uh, love love each other. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you again for, uh, for joining me um, and stay safe as well there. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, how rough the situation is out there for you, but I hope hope it's uh, not affecting you too much. And uh, and yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Oliver. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Oliver Patrice Vader. You can find Oliver on Instagram, and please go check out his music on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, and all other streaming platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or a composer you'd like to see on the show, please send me an email at composersconcepts at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed listening and take care.